Coming Back is a 100% listener-supported podcast. To support the show and to get your hands on some really cool podcast swag, head on over to patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Support the show for as little as $1 per month and change or cancel your support at any time. Your support keeps coming back ad-free, which is really awesome. Thank you. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, we'll talk to my friend and fellow grief podcaster, Joshua Black, a leading researcher on grief dreams whose grief journey was changed forever after a dream visitation from his departed father. Also on the show today, I'm talking about the super common phenomenon of becoming aware of, or even afraid of, your own mortality after a loved one dies. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches the transformational power of grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. everyone, and welcome to another episode of Coming Back. I am so grateful to be here with you today. Just a quick reminder for any of you listening who have pledged $33 a month or more to support the podcast on Patreon, I am hosting my very first private Ask Me Anything of 2018 this coming Sunday, January 21st at 7 o'clock p.m. This is a live hour-long event on Google Hangouts where you can literally ask me anything about grief, the podcast, or my life in general. Google Hangouts is totally free, and you do not need a Gmail account to be a part of it, so just navigate over to my Patreon page, and you'll find the link there to join the call, and you can either video in or uh, do video off. This is a super casual space that works kind of like Skype, but with like a larger chat room that has a more conversational slant than my Facebook Lives, and is a lot less expensive than paying for weekly counseling if you're looking for books or exercises or resources to jumpstart your coming back. If you'd like to be a part of this Sunday's Google Hangout, again happening this Sunday, January 21st at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Time, please head on over to my Patreon page to support coming back for $33 a month or more. You can find a link to my Patreon in the show notes for this episode. And as soon as you pledge, you'll get access to the link for this Sunday's event. In addition to these monthly Google Hangouts, you'll also receive an invite to my private Facebook group, The Grief Growers Garden, a shout out here on the podcast, and a set of three coming back stickers mailed right to your door. Super fun and a super great ongoing way to show your support for this show. Thank you so much again to all of you out there who have pledged so far. I am excited to see you. So excited to see you on Sunday. So this week I was cleaning my room getting ready to sit down and to write for the show. And I'm standing there in my room with my Swiffer duster in my hand, looking at all the books on my bookshelf I had just finished dusting. And I thought, someday, I'm going to die. And somebody's going to have to go through these, just like we went through mom's. Grief growers, this is a thought that genuinely went through my head at 10.30 in the morning while I was making hot water for tea and tidying up my apartment. Someday I'm going to die, and my friends and my family are going to have to go through my stuff, just like I had to go through mobs. And you know what was kind of weird about this statement as it ran through my head is that it just came through as a fact. There was very little emotion attached to this thought. I wasn't afraid for my life in that moment or overwhelmed by the amount of stuff I had. I wasn't even really all that sad for my friends and my family who were going to experience this sometime in the future. The fact that I was going to die was just there as a fact. And I looked at it and I paused for a second. And then I went on dusting and making tea and sitting down to write. Reflecting on it later, though, I was really reminded that this thought, this thought of I'm going to die someday, comes up a lot for me. It comes up when I'm in an Uber and my driver brakes too hard or goes past the speed limit in the snow or swerves to avoid another car. I'm going to die someday. 
It comes up when something really petty is happening at work and I disconnect from a conversation to save time and to save energy because after all, there are more important things in the world and I'm going to die someday. And it comes up when I'm least expecting it, like it did that morning when I was dusting and thinking there's going to be a day when I touch these books for the last time. I'm going to die someday. And I never used to think this. Before my mom died, I had very few thoughts of myself realistically dying. I didn't really wrap my head around it. Maybe it was because I was in my 20s and there's that whole, like, I'm invincible thing going on. Maybe it was because I only had seen death at a distance with relatives I saw maybe once or twice a year, and they were dead by the time that I saw them. I didn't watch them die. Maybe it's because I just didn't understand. I didn't have to. But when someone you love dies, especially if you watch them die, the process of death, it's no longer, oh, death is in the movies. Death happens when I'm really, really old. Death is far away. It's, holy shit, death is here. Death is up close. Death is anytime, anywhere, anybody. Death is going to happen to me, too. I'm saying all of this today to remind you that if you're thinking about death a lot more now that your loved one has died, you are not crazy, and you are not, you are not alone. Anyone who has lost someone will tell you that it puts their own mortality into really, really sharp perspective all of a sudden, especially if within your family group or friend group, you are age-wise or health-wise, the next in line, quote-unquote next in line. In thinking about this question, I was kind of putzing around on the internet to several uh, websites, and I basically searched on Google fear of dying after losing a loved one, because this is not the first time I've contemplated this. And I found tons of articles and message boards and blogs about what it's like to suddenly start thinking about death more than you normally do after someone you love dies. The website What's Your Grief noted that your increased thinking about death might turn people off or wig them out depending on their own beliefs or their own viewpoints on death. One of the authors said she gets the response, you're so morbid a lot, to which she kind of shrugs and says, not really. Especially after a death, she says it's normal to reconcile a senseless, unexpected or premature death, to question the meaning of life or to fear that your loved one's life will be forgotten. Thinking about mortality, she says, is pretty much another unexpected but normal occurrence after loss. The Atlantic actually wrote an article called What Good is Thinking About Death, saying that the only remedy for death is immortality, which like logistically is impossible for our human bodies. But this explains why people often strive to leave a legacy after pondering death. So sometimes we want to keep our memories alive or memories of us alive after we physically die. So we'll start thinking about ways to do that, such as taking on a passion project or checking something off our bucket lists or donating to a cause or a charity. Death can threaten our sense of meaning, according to the Atlantic, so we feel compelled to be or to make something more meaningful of our lives while we're here. Other websites like Ask a Metafilter and Hub Pages, which are more like message boards, have content that's often faith leaning, uh, people offering solace and religious or spiritual beliefs or what happens to us when we die. I'm sure that many of you know that that's not always helpful after a loss. Uh, some people's grief coincides with a loss of or questioning of faith. And there's also a desire too, I think, to think about the physical aspects of what it's like to experience death, what it feels like to die or be dying, separate from God's perspective or God's will or God's plan for all of it a resistance to that, that please let me think about death absent of God kind of thing. Or even, <laughs> and you guys are going to laugh at me for this, the separation of church and fate. Religion and spirituality only go so far to alleviate fears and thoughts of dying. A lot of times I think people just really need to be free to express what's on their mind about it, what they feel they need to put in order, their curiosities about what it actually feels like in the body to die thinking about their friends and family feeling how they felt just after losing a loved one. Death opens us up to this realm of reality. Notice I didn't say realm of possibility, where all of us will experience the same outcomes as our loved ones, not in the same way or at the same age or with the same afterlife experience, but death. We will all die. I'm going to die someday. It's just there. So here's some things that might go through your head after a loved one dies that are related to your own mortality. Fear of your own death. 
especially if the death that you've experienced of a loved one was sudden, especially if you have children or other dependents, people relying on you, or if the person who died was around your age. You may have a new and maybe sudden appreciation or fear of time, other relationships in your life, and the day-to-day mundane. You might have a desire to create a will, get rid of physical stuff, or deal with end-of-life matters. You might be questioning or rejecting faith or religious beliefs, or on the totally opposite end of the spectrum, as seen on a lot of message boards I read, a clinging to faith or religious beliefs as they relate to death and the concept of the afterlife. Another thing is you're just talking more about death, what it will be like to die, how you want to die, how you will die, how you'd like your death to go, just like planning, anticipating, pondering death, death talk. Also, uh, thinking about the purpose of life. As in, if someone who meant so much to you or is so significant to you in your life is now gone, what will happen to you? And this also ties in again with that Atlantic article of desire to leave a legacy or to find a passion. Sometimes here people will talk about switching jobs, spending more time with family and friends, or crossing an item or two off of their bucket list. So fear of death, thoughts of death, focus on your own death are totally normal happenings, totally normal occurrences after a loss. So let them let them come up, let them visit you. They're, they're just, it's another thing that, that adds to this depth of human consciousness, this depth of human experience. And we will all think about these thoughts, even if we never tell another person, we will all have these thoughts running through our heads of someday I'm going to die. I will pause here though, to insert a warning slash concern. If the death of someone you love has got you feeling like life is meaningless like your life doesn't matter, or that you would be better off dead, please seek the help of a licensed therapist or counselor. I promise this is not a new idea to them and you will not shock them. Also, if obsessive worries about dying, putting things in order, or focusing on death is inhibiting your daily working or eating or sleeping habits, please again, find a licensed therapist or a counselor in your area. This is a condition known as death anxiety and can really screw with your ability to release that grip. I'm making a fist right now to release that grip on focusing on death in order to actually live in and enjoy your life. Lastly, grief growers today, I just want to offer you these parting bits of advice when it comes to thinking about death after a loved one has died. Number one, have somebody in your life that you can talk about death with, whether that's an in-person friend or family member, or just posting in my private Facebook group, The Grief Growers Garden. Find a space where you can tease out and work through and expand on your thoughts on death. If you're shut down in conversation with things like you're so morbid, death is a part of life, so don't worry about it, or God has a plan, slash there's hope for you in the afterlife, slash Jesus Christ is my rock, etc., you might want to find somebody else to talk to. It's not that these people are afraid of you or afraid of death necessarily, they're just not in a space to hold space for you yet. Talking about death and why we're here is a real I like to refer to it as a real heart conversation, so it's valuable to find a person or two or a group online that you can share that with. Number two, know yourself well enough to know the best way to approach end-of-life planning, and I'll expand on it this way. Uh, Sometimes when the people that we love die, the ones of us who are still living, rush home and start writing up a will for ourselves, with our spouses, with our families, whoever... I would advise you here to let it rest before taking it to a lawyer, especially if you've got family drama happening surrounding the loss, if things regarding property or money are kind of up in the air. From what I understand and from what I've lived and from what I've seen, end-of-life planning is best done from a non-rushed space of level-headedness, not immediately after a loss happened when emotions are running really high. So when I say know yourself well enough, I mean know how much time and distance you need from your loss in order to approach end-of-life planning from a more focused place. And this timeline will be different for everyone. Lastly, number three, know that you won't and can't figure it all out. You can't approach death like with a place of I'm going to solve this. You just kind of approach death from a place of pondering, wondering, uh, questioning, I suppose. You can plan for death and you can even set up others' lives for after you die. But your own death, like the death of the person that you lost, is out of your control at some point. At some point, it's totally out of your hands. It's very much 
like a manage what you can and release the rest experience, which is really easy for me to say out loud here, but I've struggled with this a lot in my head. It's really, really frustrating to know sometimes that even when I do die and even when I have a will, that things will happen that I cannot control after my death. And as much as I want to step in and say, no, this is how it should be, I won't be able to because I'll be dead. And some days that thought is really funny to me. And sometimes that thought is really, really frustrating. And some days, just like that dusting my room day, it'll just show up. Wow, someday I'm going to die and somebody's going to have to go through all my stuff, all my books. One day will be the last day that I touch these books. And then after that, it will be somebody else and I'll be dead. Huh. I'm going to die someday. And so are you. Grief growers, this is a topic that everyone expresses and experiences differently. So I would love to hear your thoughts on your own death and mortality after someone you love has died. So join me on Facebook Live this Monday, January 22nd, to have a chat about how the idea of your own death has influenced your life since your loved one died. And if, like me, it just pops into your head randomly while dusting. I am so open to hearing all of your stories and all of your thoughts on thinking about your own death after someone you love has died. Next up, we'll talk to our first ever male guest, Joshua Black, about his father's death and how one dream changed the course of his grief. Joshua Black is one of the leading academic researchers in the field of dreams of the deceased. He has focused all of his graduate work, a master's and a doctorate, on investigating this far-neglected topic. He continues to publish scientific research in the field as he finishes up his final year of the PhD program at Brock University in Ontario, Canada. To raise awareness about the topic, he started griefdreams.ca, the Grief Dreams Facebook group, and the Grief Dreams podcast with his co-host Sean Ram. Additionally, he frequently gives presentations and workshops on the subject of grief dreams. Well, Joshua, welcome to coming back. I am so excited to have you here and to share your story. Uh, As many of our grief growers know on coming back, I was a guest on your show on grief dreams, sharing some dreams about my mom and about the loss of her and how she has come to me in dreams over the years since her death. And I'm so excited to kind of turn the tables with you and have you share your loss story and tell our listeners how you came back as well. So can you start us off with your loss story? Yes, before that, I'd like to just say thank you for having me on. So my last story, I guess to understand it fully, I guess I have to sort of talk about my relationship with my father. And we didn't really have a good one growing up. He he was very authoritarian. Uh, he didn't show love the way you know I wanted to or here, to have love get shown at me. He didn't attend sort of a lot of stuff I wanted him to attend. So we really had a discord for the most of our lives. And I was really afraid of him, uh, to tell you the truth. So I stayed a lot of my time in my room. I didn't. And so as I grew up, we just never had a bond. But then what happened was my mom and him separated after uh, he got intoxicated one night and uh, did some crazy stuff. And so they separated and there was about a period there, about a year that it was about six months, I think, that I didn't talk to him at all. And then he left the, the house that where he was staying at and then we moved back into the house. And that's when I, I was thinking, you know, what really happened here, you know, with him. So I went and I sort of talked to him, and and I started building a relationship that way. So after after all that, so it said like that six months, I started like talking to him as a more of an adult, understand, trying to understand why he drank, why he did all this sort of stuff. And from there, we actually started building a relationship, which was very interesting because that's not why I intended to go there. (laughs) I wanted answers (laughs) and then I wanted to leave him alone, right? But I actually started learning a different side of him, which I never sort of thought about before. So anyways, it was about, I think, two years there. There was a gap maybe that we're building this friendship. And then what happened was he was going to pick me up one day to go to a hockey game in town. And I was waiting and I was waiting and nothing actually, he never showed up. And he's been known to like fall asleep and not show up at different times. So I just thought, okay, yeah, um, he'll call me when he wakes up and whatnot. So anyways, the whole day went by and he didn't call me. So then I called him and nothing, there was no answer. And I'm like, okay. Um, so then I got a call, I believe it was the next day or the day after from my aunt who said they found my father and he was dead. And I said, you know, what? 
And they're like, yeah, they, uh, they had a, he didn't go to some other events. And so they got worried. So they broke down the door and then he was found dead in the bathroom. You know, that really shook me because it was the first time I've ever experienced a loss of someone significant in my life and someone I've just really developed this bond. I was getting something that I never got as a child that I always wanted, you know, and then for him to sort of die, it really opened up this huge wound inside of me and I just started crying. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. You know, like I always thought if grief did happen to me, it'd be like a bad breakup. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not really the same thing I found out. So I just started crying. And then uh, I remember of just like all the memories. I tried to like remember every memory that I had with him as a way to like keep him close. And I was getting really discouraged because I couldn't remember the memories. And it really broke my heart. Um, I was talking some some wild stuff in the sense that I was uh, dating this woman at the time. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to drop out of school. I was in my undergrad at that time. I'm going to drop out of school. I'm going to go to Israel. That's what he wanted for, for me to do with him. And she's like, calm down, like <laughs> come back over this way. Uh, you got to finish school, you know? And I'm glad she was there because I was just, I was making irrational decisions in my mind as a way to almost say how much I loved him in a way. But the issue was that, like, yes, like, I had the, the friend or the, the girlfriend that was helping me get back to school, but she never really experienced a, a loss in her life either. So she didn't really know how to handle my own suffering. And as a, as a guy, I didn't really know how to process my suffering. So what I did was I just suppressed it and I went back to school. And then there was a three month gap there where I was just, I was just numb. Like, there was no happiness. I was just doing the old routine stuff. And, uh, it was, uh, yeah, looking back, it was just more of a blur. It was just like I, I did what I need to do to uh, survive, I guess, the best way to put it, and to maintain the grades in school. And it was a great distraction at that time. I kind of want to go back to, to something that you touched on and said about these actions of trying to bring back memories or going to Israel to kind of keep this relationship alive or keep honoring your dad's memory or kind of keep that dream relationship you had as a kid uh, going in real life. I think a lot of grievers are afraid that once their loved ones die and that they process their grief, or even if they start working on their grief, that they're going to lose all of their memories as a result. Not only will you lose some of the pain and some of the guilt and some of the remorse of the relationship, but you'll lose the memories that came along with it. Can you speak to your experience of your memories of your dad, have they come back to you? Do you feel you've lost more or gained more? How have memories kind of existed for you as a topic within grief? At, at the beginning, it was, yeah, it was just like you said. And then what I found, I sort of just figured that's how it was. Um, but as I moved forward, I realized different events are triggering memories in me that I thought I forgot about. So then I realized I've never actually forgot about anything. I just need things to trigger the memories to come out. And that made me a lot happier (laughs) because I'm like, oh, okay, they're still in there. I just can't find them. Like I can't just like retrieve them at will. There's things that need to occur. And it's also, you know, like when it happens, I get actually really happy because, oh, I forgot about that. I remember that. And so I can like sit with that memory in a, in such a, a sweet place because I didn't sort of, I couldn't retrieve it myself. To be able to sit with it was a beautiful thing. So for anyone who is, you know, on that journey, like they do come at different points in your life. So you haven't really forgot about them. And as I move forward, I sort of became less attached to memories as a way to, I guess, love my father. And more now it's just like continuing this relationship now and where where I believe he is. And that is my own memory. And my dreams is uh, the other big thing of sort of making new memories that uh, with them. When did you kind of wake up, for lack of a better term, and say, oh my gosh, I'm grieving. Like this, I need to do something about it as opposed to the numbing out and forging ahead. I don't know if I actually, <laughs> actually sat down and said, you know what, it's time that I work on this. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish I did. You know, I wish that was like, I can have like, you guys can do it too. Um, but, <laughs> and, and, and you can, but you know, like for me, that really wasn't the way it went. Like I probably would have been stuck in that rut for a long period of time if it wasn't for a dream. And so this is why I have such a passion and love for the dreams in my own life because it was the first one I had was the thing that changed my whole grief around. And I haven't been the same since. 
I'm so excited. I've got chills. I'm so excited about this story. <laughs> Want me to tell you the dream? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So I went to bed the one night and in the dream, I wake up in my bed and I look to my left and I could see my room for exactly what it was. And there's just stuff everywhere. Like every detail was exactly the same as it was in Waking Life, which was very different for me in like other dreams I've had. I've never had a dream of my room with all the clutter that was there at the time. And being so like, I, I knew where everything was. And then I look and there's my father and he's looking through some of my clutter. And he he looks well. And he, I get up and I, I go walk from him. He turns around and he's smiling. And I said, Dad, you know, I'm, I'm really going to miss you. And I was acknowledging the loss at that moment. And I said, I loved him. And I hugged him. And I woke up. And the crazy thing when I woke up was I felt different. Like something shifted inside me. And I, the happiness was back. I could, you know, I could feel joy again. And it, it, I can't, I, to this day, I, <clears throat> I really can't explain it other than I had those sort of blocks in me because I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't tell him I loved him as much as I probably could have. And so those are, I think, two big things that looking back, like it, it helped with that and the environment of love that just the, the energy of love, because he, he was in a, in the dream in a way I've never seen him in waking life either. Like he was very peaceful and that's something, you know, he had a lot of traumas and, and struggles in life that he hadn't worked through. So to see him that way too, and to just be in this, I guess, energy of love dream was so vivid. And I just woke up and I said, oh, wow. And I just like sat on my bed, just like not knowing what just happened, but I could feel I was different. And it went back to school, finished my stuff. The big thing was I didn't tell anyone about the dream though, which which is was very surprising to me looking back now because it was one of the most impactful things in my grief journey, but yet I didn't tell anyone. Like I really kept it, you know, like safe in my own sort of, uh, in my own mind. Uh, and then every three, about three months or so, he would come in with these vivid uh, dreams and each dream was a little different. One of my more interesting dreams that I still look back on. I say, man, like, what was that about? It was about, I think it was like two or three years after he passed away. And I was in my room again. And he he was there and I was there. And he's like, I've been waiting a long time to give you this. And then I, he took my hand and he pressed, he put his hand on top of mine. And this energy from him was flowing through him into me. And it was it must, it felt, and most dreams I've had with him felt like, you know, 30 seconds, a minute. This felt like five hours. Wow. Like, it was just a long, long dream. And I woke up and I was like, what just happened? Like, it was just the most bizarre dream I had. I haven't really shared that too much, but because I still don't fully understand it, but it was just a beautiful feeling. And for him to say, I've been waiting for a long time. So I wasn't know it was me, like he's waiting for me or he needed to change and needed to learn some stuff to be able to do it. So um, but it was such a crazy dream. My last dream I had uh, with um, that was kind of, was really vivid. Uh, that made me smile and made me just remember him. Was I was in my room? Uh, it was probably like a year ago, and he came up to me and he said, "You know, like, is there anything you need?" And I said, "No, Dad, I got everything I need right now." I said, "You know, maybe maybe in a year I'll need a new computer." And then he's like, "Okay," and that was it. So it was a very <laughs> simple dream, but like he was—it's almost like he was trying to take care of me. And so it felt—I felt like you know—he was the father that I always wanted in that moment. That he was like watching out for me and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, "Wow!" And like I want to say too, there was a point after probably the first year or two that I didn't have these vivid dreams of him anymore. And I thought, okay, like my grief's more or less healed. Maybe I just don't get these dreams anymore, but they do still happen. So which is very, they don't happen as frequently, but you know, probably once a year I'll get one of these vivid dreams. That is so cool. And I got chills the whole time you were talking, which is listeners. So that's like a symbol for me of like, this, this is just really cool. And that's just an authentic truth is being spoken. So I think this is just so neat. Is that like your spidey sense? Kind of. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. And I think it's really neat that, that your dad in a way is choosing to continue a relationship with you through dreams, like through this other portal, as opposed to like trying to find ways to, to trigger you maybe to talk about grief, think about grief, or even think about him in waking life. And I know um, earlier you mentioned working on grief and its relationship with 
being a man, being male. I would love to hear your experience as a man grieving a man as well. I find um, that most men have a hard time processing emotions. And I think most people in general have a hard time really looking at emotions um, just because it hurts. You know, it hurts to look at and express emotions in a productive or a healthy way. And so what I see when it comes to men, they tend to funnel a lot of their sadness into anger. And so for me, I funneled a lot of my emotions into basketball into, because I could get really physical uh, in the game and it helped sort of relieve some of those, those tensions. But at that time, like for me, I was a little bit different. I, was, I, was, I could look at my emotions a little bit more than I, I could, I think I had pr- like previously just because I was on a journey of self-exploration after I had a different sort of kind of loss uh, when a, a girlfriend um, cheated on me before and that sort of catapulted me into sort of looking at my emotions a little bit more but so so when this happened the men around me i guess the best way to put it they came to the funeral but they didn't know how to talk to me they didn't sit me down you know they'd be like hey have a beer and you're like oh okay great (laughs) like (laughs) like, is that the answer that must be the answer (laughs) drinking must be the answer (laughs) i don't feel bad anymore (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so i think just they didn't know how to sort of respond to that too. And I think because I was young, the, my friends were young and they didn't have the loss either. So it was just, you know, I, I can't, ex- you know, looking back and you know, like I couldn't expect anything more from them because of just what they've learned along the way. And, you know, as, as a male, I didn't really express my emotions that much. And so I didn't really cry. I cried, you know, with my girlfriend, but to anyone else, I wasn't crying. And so I was trying to be that figure that you have in, in my own mind of being a man. And that's uh, being like strong. Um, and, you know, um, ready to take on the world. And that's sort of what my dad was, you know, really about too. And it kind of plagued him because he couldn't express his emotions. So I think a lot of my ability to, of what happened after loss was the, especially the, the, that numbness was because I couldn't express it. It was just too painful. I didn't know how. I didn't have the tools at that time. But, you know, ever since then, I can. I think what's really interesting was, when my father passed away, it's actually, it'll be 10 years in a, uh, on January 12th. So very, very, yeah. So it'll be 10 years. I remember I had 10 years. I was like, I cried like a river. And then, um, after that I didn't cry. I don't think I cried at all until my mom had a heart attack. And then my tears were like acid and it was like burning my eyes. But from that point on, I was able to cry. So like, even after I cried for my dad's death, I didn't cry the next four years or something, four or five years, um, just because it was so foreign to cry. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I had to sort of like allow myself to get to that point. I had to actually work on reducing the stigma of crying in my own mind. So I think, you know, when it comes to the male perspective, you know, if you can cry, man, that's an amazing, I think, step at expressing, even alone, expressing your emotions and feeling them. And hopefully, you know, like as society moves forward, you know, you know, men and just everyone can do it because I know a lot of women who are, are like that. They want to be, I guess, that masculine sort of tendency just to be strong, to not show weakness in, in a world where people, you know, can pry on that. Of course, if I'm going to be strong for my family or for my kids or my friends or for my work or what have you, that looks like fill in the blank, not crying. Um, <laughs> that's really interesting to me. That's really fascinating to me, your perspective on being a man who's grieving and not being able to really expect more from the men in your life because people show up the best they possibly can, especially in times of grief and crisis. And then that whole not being able to cry. I kind of want to segue now into what what dreams are for you, what dreams mean for you. How do you interpret your dreams when they come? I guess it really depends on the feeling of, of the dream. So the more vivid ones... I like to sort of see them as an actual visitation from my father. It it makes me smile. It makes me still feel loved. It makes me uh, feel safe too. But I know, like, just even like through my own research and stuff um, on the topic, that not everyone will see that. And people just say it's a good dream, and it just provides them a sense of love at that moment. And that's that's totally cool. So just because I believe the visitation, I have no expectation that anyone else needs to believe that. Um, but then there's other dreams. Like I recently had a dream, I think it was last night actually, where my dad was, there was like this uh, storm that came through my house and the shingles were falling off. And he went up on the uh, on the roof and he was trying to fix the shingles and he was using 
uh, a pizza box or whatever. <laughs> it's just, like, it just like a random, it's just a really a random kind of dream that it wasn't really vivid. And I just smile, and it, it was kind of his personality in the sense that he used to use duct tape for everything. He didn't know how to fix it, right? like so. Um, so it brought back memories of that, but like I wouldn't take that as like a visitation type dream for me. It was just a nice dream that when I woke up, it helped me remember different other moments in his life and his personality style. And I've had one dream that was very negative where he. I uh, was downstairs and then when I opened the door, he came running up with a knife and so I closed the door, scared, and he kicked the, the door down and tried to stab me, but the door was in the way and so like the knife was going through the door. Wow. Yeah, it was very, uh, very crazy and, you know, it was very tr- like scary to, to have that kind of dream and I know along my journey, a lot of people who have those people have those negative dreams and sometimes they, they're repeated and sometimes people think those are visitations. So but for me, I always look back on, you know, like negative dreams, like dreams in general reflect our waking life. So especially these negative dreams should be uh, more common after after loss with comes to the deceased. Even though they're not, they they should be just based on trauma research and stuff. But anyway, so when I had that dream I was actually working through some stuff about who my dad was in relation to why I had a different models of the world. So emotions could be one thing, like why I saw women the way I did, why I believed certain things about the world, like the world was unsafe or people were out to get you. Like all those things were actually ideas my dad had. And I just sure. adopted those, right? So at that time, I understood that dream. It wasn't really my dad. But it was just a symbol for what was going on. And in my, especially being my upbringing, he, his own personality um, and those traits of his beliefs of the world being very negative um, were like something trying to stab me. And, and it is very scary. And you move forward in the world very scared. And so I looked at that. I'm like, oh, okay. So these issues actually probably represent him and his model. So I'm like, what do I want to believe? And so from that point on, I was really looking at who do I want to be in this world, not who does my father want me to be. And so that really changed a lot. And so I took that dream um, very meaningful in the hence of where I was and how to proceed moving forward. And like it's said, like when it comes to negative dreams, like it's, it's like people have dreams of their deceased dying again and stuff. And it's just really sad that they have to go through that. But there is a lot of information in there that can help you or help your counselor figure out where they need to go in relation to what, what your blocks are. What's kind of your process or maybe a recommended process for starting to to break these down and do kind of what you did and say, how is this meaningful in my life? What's the feeling that I'm getting? Uh, what can I be open to learning from this? Yeah, it's a, it's a big question because it's not something that, you know, I could just say in a sentence and people be like, bingo, <laughs> that's what I've been missing. <laughs> For if you have negative dreams, the easiest way is just to contact me and I can help you work through those dreams. I don't charge. It's just something I love to do. And so with that, that's the easiest way. If you, let's say, want dreams and you're not having it, my research is sort of showing that maybe the reason why is because you're not dreaming as often. And so, and that is a complication. A lot of people who who don't have dreams um, may put negative reasons on why they're not like the deceased doesn't love them anymore maybe they didn't make it to heaven like really some of these are just really bizarre uh things and so i wanted to try to help people realize it maybe not be that dream recall is very important for having dreams of the deceased which makes logical sense the more you remember your dreams the more likely you may have one of the remember one of these dreams of the deceased so for most people we're probably dreaming of the deceased more than we're actually remembering them and so if you do want to remember, let's say, more dreams with the deceased or uh, if they're positive or whatever, um, what you can do is start writing down your dreams or valuing them. So if you do it in a recorder, that's fine. Uh, if you do it when you wake up, um, that's fine too. But writing it down actually is showing that it actually can increase your dream recall. For me personally, when I heard about that, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And so I started doing it and I was remembering, usually I remember one dream a night. Um, the average is around two to three a week. When I started doing it, what happened was I was remembering like four dreams a night and I was getting way too, <laughs> way too exhausted <laughs> because you'd wake up and be like, oh, I got to write this down and then you go back to bed. But the downside of writing it down is if you do write it down, it sometimes wakes you up. And so that's why people will use the recorder because they can keep their eyes closed. So just a little tip on, on that front. Yeah. So, so that's that. I do want to mention actually one thing about my loss. Sure. That, um, I never really, I kind of skipped over 
and I probably shouldn't have. When my father passed away, uh, and the reason I think why we're going to the hockey game was because my birthday was in a couple of days. And so looking back now, because it's been 10 years, and so yesterday I actually calculated, I'm like, oh my God, it's been 10 years. And I realized like the whole, my whole life journey in 10 years and what, what's happened. But also like it brought me back to a memory of the day before, like the day of my birthday, I was picking out caskets of my father. And I was like, wow, like that's absolutely crazy that, you know, it's something I don't really think about, but I can only understand when my birthday comes around, those memories would also like be in there a little bit. Just like the, when it happened was uh, pretty crazy to me. But then also, you know, like looking back now, 10 years of my birthday, I'm, there's this moment that I'm having where it's like, look how far I've come and look where, where this work, like what grief has brought me to in 10 years. You know, I guess I look back and there's like, a, you know, a tear in my eye saying, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't for nothing, you know? And I think for me, that's the biggest thing when it comes to my loss that when I look at it is that he didn't die for nothing. It's kind of a beautiful tie-in to one of my first questions about the fear of losing memories and not being able to get them back, is that for as long as time continues on in your life, and it's not just time that heals, it's the actual action of reflecting back in your life. But as more events happen in your life, as more years happen, as more milestones happen, you get this wider lens with which to view your losses through. And yeah, that's just really cool and powerful. I have the same relationship with my mom, but with the Christmas season. So every year another Christmas passes, I attach it to how far have I come since her death. And that's really, and and in the beginning, it's really unfortunate that your birthday is so close to his death day. Mm-hmm. But as time goes on, of course, it's kind of a, it's like a Google calendar reminder in your phone of like, oh, it's time to reflect on how far you've come as well. So it's an interesting and, and really powerful reframing of, of what those memories are to you and being able to summon them back into the present moment. I think it's, it's, that's why it's so difficult in the beginning because you can't really, I think, reframe it in that way. And it takes time. It does take a lot of time for grief to work its way through you and change you. And so you can have these moments where you can reflect back and say, oh my God, you know, like it wasn't for nothing. And look at all, look what I'm in. Like, I can't believe I'm even doing my PhD, you know, at Brock, looking at these grief dreams, like the thing that actually helped me, I'm actually doing and helping other people. And, and people tell me their life stories because of it. And I'm so grateful to be able to be a part of people's journey and to be able to have the compassion needed, which I didn't really have prior. And so I can provide that space now for others. And I think that's the greatest gift he could ever gave me. He could have survived. He could have lived for another, you know, 40 years. But if I wasn't this person I am today, um, it wouldn't have really been living or just been doing stuff. So like his death was a catalyst for me to have more compassion for the world and to go deeper inside to try to understand who I was. So uh, if he gave me one last lesson, you know, in, in his training, I guess, as a father, he did a hell of a job. Obviously, your relationship, the dynamic has changed, but it also really sounds like you feel differently about him. I appreciate it more now because I see what his life has done for me. Back then, like if he would have survived, like I, I love that, you know, in the sense you get that, I get that father-son bond that I never had, you know, but this is bigger than that, you know, like for me to love myself and love the world is bigger than any kind of attachment you know, bond for some that with someone else or identity with someone else. Like this is sort of, I think my goal in life is to reach that because you see the impact it can have on the world and others. And if, if he didn't, if we didn't reconnect, that'd be an interesting story because imagine if he just died and I was just still angry at him, I would have a totally different grief response. And maybe this may not have, his death may not have meant anything. So it's be, I think because we had that bond, because I then suffered, and then because, you know, like I learned so much about myself uh, through the process, um, I definitely, I would say, yeah, like I appreciate that. And I actually look at his death almost, even though it was, you know, accidental, uh, almost like a sacrifice, you know, like I see it as a sacrifice that uh, he made for, for me in a way to reach a higher level of, I guess, being or, or love. I, I, there's nothing more in my my heart I, I, that you know anyone's ever done for me uh, in that way. I guess to answer your question, yes, I appreciate him more than I did when we were together. Because when we were together, I just saw him as like sort of a father, and I was getting something that a child always wanted. And this is just a lot bigger than that. 
it's so important for people to know, I think, that relationships not only continue after a loss, but they can also grow and change. Being driven to make meaning out of what has happened. And I think that's something that that you are very skilled and very adept at, especially because now you've turned it into something you're studying for your PhD, which is phenomenal. Um, so as we're wrapping up the show today, I want to give you some space to talk more about the work that you're doing with studying grief dreams, and then have you tell us where people can get in touch with you, how they can get in touch with you, and how they can listen to your podcast, which is exclusively all about grief dreams. Most people probably don't realize that there's not a lot of research in this area. And so I'm actually one of the, the leading researchers in the area, which is so stupid because... <laughs> <laughs> That's not the word choice I expected you to use. That's really funny. <laughs> well, it's... It, the reason I say it's due because we've been dying and having dreams since probably the beginning of time, but yet no researcher actually wanted to label themselves and do the research in this area. And so I'm the first one to label myself as that and actually do more than one study, uh, dreams after loss. And I think that's just, it's just so, I think it's stupid because the bereaved have, what we're finding it's such a very common thing. So after spells of loss, it was it. 86% of people uh, within the first year said they had a dream, pet loss, 71%, and miscarriages from either the, the carrier or the partner, 50%. So people after loss are dreaming of their, their loved ones in very comforting ways, but also very horrifying ways. And we don't know anything about it. And because of that, people who are trained in pantology and other you know grief coaching, they don't know how to respond to this stuff either. There's just like a lack of research and lack of knowledge for people to go to and there's some really bad knowledge out there. Like when I first started, I started looking at like YouTube clips and I started hearing people talk on podcasts and there's so much bad advice. And so my whole goal was to raise awareness of this topic and provide a place where people can ask the questions and get answers. So uh, if you go to the griefdreams.ca website, uh, you can have my, my contact information is there. So if you have any questions on that topic, feel free to go there. And there's a lot of my research is on there with other cool stuff that you'll find. And then uh, we have the... Uh, the Grief Dreams Facebook group. So if you have a dream, positive or negative, and you want to share it, like it's a very beautiful group that people are uh, just so nice. And I love that aspect that like people are caring and uh, they'll respond to you and, and the way that you more or less need to. And there's some people who are spiritual and other people who aren't. And it's just like, uh, you know, it's a variety of people who gives their responses to uh, your dream or your questions that you do have. And I always respond the best I can. And I correct anyone if, it's if the advice is really crazy, <laughs> but hey, just like this is, you know, like this is what it's for. And so, so there's that. And then there's also the, I really love the Instagram page. Um, so I, on there, I share dreams and I share other like weird stuff I've come to really enjoy, like pick a fictional character. And if they, if someone died in their dream, like you ask them what dream would they want to have, or have you ever had a dream? And so I make up dreams for different fictional characters, like what dreams they probably would have based on their loss. <laughs> yes, just... I love it. Like last week there was, you know, Star Wars dreams. There have been <laughs> other ones too, but based on like what movies and TV shows are out where people die. Mm -hmm. It's like, I wonder what other characters in the show would dream of them if they had a grief dream or I wish I could dream of XYZ. And the other cool thing too is that you actually on your Instagram point out movies and TV shows where grief dreams are featured, where it's like, hey, this one has a grief dream in it. So if people mm -hmm. are exploring Explicitly looking for, granted, like uh, the TV industry's example of what a grief dream would look like. That's a great place to start looking. Yeah, and that's this is why I say it's kind of really stupid how we haven't studied it because social media and just like TV and and all that sort of stuff, movies, they've like captured these dreams way before I started researching them, and so mm -hmm. it's almost like the culture is ahead of the research, which is really bizarre. It's usually the way around. And so it's like the culture's so ahead and I'm like, I'm just trying to catch up to say, are those streams that they're showcasing even accurate? And for a lot of times they, they more or less are, which is really nice. So whoever wrote those scripts would have had their own grief dream uh, because the research just isn't out there for them to get that information. So yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. So you can find that on accurate grief dreams. And then there's the grief dreams podcast where you can find me and we talk to different guests um, like Shelby. And, uh, if you, <laughs> and that was a fun little episode we got to do. And so, yeah, we talked to guests about their dreams and their lost story, sort of like, you know, what we did here, um, but just a little bit longer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it because it takes me exactly uh, an hour to get to my job. And so I put one episode of Grief Dreams on and it lasts me the whole way. Um, <laughs> Amazing. 
Yeah, I know. It's so much fun. Um, excellent. Well, thank you, Joshua, so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for sharing the dream that changed your grief journey. Thank you for sharing uh, the research that you have on grief dreams so far. And I wish you all the best of luck finishing this PhD program uh, and, and continuing your research with grief dreams, something that has been experienced but uncharted. Yeah. And, you know, thank you for allowing me to come on even sh- and asking about my own loss, I said, but also sharing and raising awareness on the topic because that means a lot to me. It's nice to sort of allow people to normalize the experiences that they're having and to be able to sort of release some of that stuff. Like I should just mention quickly, I've had I've people at my talks and stuff and they come up to me and they're like, you know what? I haven't told anyone this dream for like 40 years. I said, wow. And then they tell me the dream and I feel honored to be able to be there to like hear the dream but so sad and it took 40 years for till they found someone that could offer space for them to share the dream and lastly i didn't mention too i have uh, if you have any listeners in bc i do have a uh, a talk scheduled uh, and a workshop so if you want to learn how to work with these dreams um, you can go to my website and all the information's uh, on there but it's on january 27th in chilliwack bc at the chilliwack cultural center if you're out there, I'd love to sort of uh, meet you and and hear about your own loss and your own journey. But until then, I can't wait to do maybe do something down uh, down in the U.S. one day and uh, maybe get you, Shelby, to uh, talk about your own loss and your own journey through it too. That sounds awesome. I'll see you in Chicago. <laughs> all right. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you so much again to my friend and fellow grief podcaster Joshua Black. Joshua came back when he had a vivid visitation dream of his deceased father that shifted the state of his heart and has since explored grief dreams and their power in helping us heal. You can find a link to Joshua's work in the show notes where you can find his upcoming live appearances, his published studies on grief dreams, the Grief Dreams podcast, and his private Facebook group where you can share your own grief dreams. If you'd like to listen to the dreams of my mom that I shared on Joshua's podcast, I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes as well. Join me this Sunday, January 21st at 7 o'clock Central Time for a live Google Hangout where you can ask me anything. I'll be taking your questions for an entire hour. Please know that this monthly event is limited to Patreon supporters who've pledged $33 per month or more to support the show. So if you'd like to join us, please head on over to patreon.com slash Shelby to pledge now. You'll receive the link instantly upon your pledge. Join me on Facebook Live this Monday, January 22nd at 1 o'clock Central Time. We'll be talking about thinking about our own deaths when someone we love dies. Please subscribe and tell a friend about coming back because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you always, Mr. Addie Goldstein, for composing our theme music today. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Grief Guide Shelby Forsythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or a comment for a future show, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com, subject line, podcast. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you, I am proud of you and the work that you're continuing to do in the world, and I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing.